When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just a little heads up before you dive into this week's episode of White Wine Question Time. We do discuss in some detail eating disorders. For more help, education, and to talk to somebody who's qualified to help on this, we recommend BEAT. You can find them at beateatingdisorders.org.uk. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a television presenter and podcaster who started out in the infancy of reality television before moving to Ministry of Sound's Head Candy radio station and then ultimately Heart FM, where she still resides every weekend with a show on Saturday and Sunday morning. She's also the co-host of the successful parenting podcast Made by Mamas, where she interviews celebrity guests alongside Georgia Dayton and speaks from hard-fought experience as a mother to Luna, who's five, Kit, who's three, and a stepdaughter, Isla, who's eight. Married to rugby player Paul Doran-Jones, she's spoken so eloquently in the past about her experiences of anorexia, citing her recovery as possibly her greatest achievement after her children, and also about the realities of early menopause, which she experienced at the tender age of 37. Having known her socially for years now, I know you're in for a real treat today. So let's kick back and dial up Zoe Hardman. How are ya? Yay! What a lovely intro. Because it's normally me that does the intro, so I'm quite happy about that one. I know this is a proper weird one, isn't it, for you? Because I'm the same when I go on other people's podcasts and I've just been on yours. Mm. I just sit there thinking, gosh, I have no idea how to answer these questions because I'm so used <laughs> to asking them. I 
no. The interviewer becomes the interviewee or the other way around. Yeah. yeah. The, the hunter becomes the hunted. Is that hunted. what it is? Yes, that's it. <laughs> that's probably the better way of looking at it. Uh, how you been, Zoe? You good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm on that weird sort of, I don't know when this podcast is going out, but I'm on that sort of wind down. We're recording it the sort of week leading up to Christmas, aren't we? So yeah. I've got, you know, kids breaking up from school, presents to sort out. You know, we're hoping to travel to Kenya to see my mum. I'm finishing up radio. We've got podcasts to record. We've got a book proposal to get in. I feel like I am about to have a minor breakdown, but I'm okay. Okay. I've got it. I hope. I think I said to you though, when I was talking to you on your podcast, that these years when you've got such young children, you do mm. spend most of your life hanging by a thread in terms of just getting away with it. You're the ultimate kind of swan, smooth on the surface, paddling furiously underneath it. Um, mm. Yeah, life is busy, yeah. right? And and I suppose working in the hours that we do and the jobs that we do, you never really, you can never really map and plan and there's always the fear that the work's going to dry up. So you end up saying yes to more than you should. And here you are, the week before Christmas, literally scraping yourself off the pavement like a bit of old chewing gum. Yeah, exactly. And also sort of saying, like you said, saying yes to all the cover at heart. So I got a phone call from my boss last week and he was like, how about you do early breakfast the week leading up to you going away to Kenya? And I was like, yeah, sure. And as I was saying it, I was like the reality of the two o'clock alarm, 2 a.m. alarm call goes, you know. And so, you know, you're sort of on the back foot because you constantly feel like you're jet lagged. But I just, it's not a job, you know, and I think I can need to keep reminding myself that we're so lucky to do what we do. And radio is such an amazing forum to be part of, especially at heart because we're, you know, the station that everybody comes to for a bit of a warm hug and a bit of Mariah Carey um so it's like <laughs> yeah it's it's fun it, and, and it's somewhere you've been for a long time now you I mean you've really held your own with your audiences which is is you know commendable yeah, I love how you said that I started off at Head Candy. That's so funny because obviously my life before that was at ITV and I was doing Take Me Out and I had all like, you know, my first ever TV job was a show on Channel 4 called Playing It Straight, where which June Sarpong was presenting. I was only 20 at the time. But it, yeah, it was called, it was like a reality show. Yeah, but it well, it was like the days before reality because it was like the second year that Big Brother was running. So it was almost like scripted drama. And um, I thought I was going on this dating show and then the next minute June came out and was like, you know, some of these men are gay and some of these men are straight. And suddenly I thought, oh, fuck, I thought I was just coming away to Mexico to, like, hang out with some hotcakes by a swimming pool. But suddenly it turned into something completely different. And that was nearly 20 years ago. And the funny oh thing is, is that people still come up to me on the street now and go, oh, my God. And I go, yep, yep, heart. And they go, no, you're on playing it straight. Was, it's the one really? thing that I, it's the only thing I get remembered for. It's mad. That's nuts, isn't it? So what did you, you have to go on there and do what? So it Work was out who was straight was, over who was gay. I mean, they would never put the show out on the telly now. I thought back. I thought back to Channel Four, but you know, back in the days in two thousand and five. But basically, it was me using sort of like all my skills. Um, I didn't have any because I was twenty one, and I had to figure out who the gay men were out of the ten and who the straight men were, and I had to eliminate the gay men and end up with a straight man to win fifty grand. And guess what I did? I ended up picking a gay man who was actually Mr. Gay UK. And he was like, his name was Ben and he was a builder. And it, when, I, when I said at the end, in the final like, show, I said, look, I choose you. And he went, I'm gay, darling. And I went, oh, fucking hell. Like the whole six weeks, I thought you were straight and you were actually gay. I mean, it was just such a funny thing. And then, then that sort of got me into telly. It was Wow. Was I mean, can you imagine trying to pitch that show now? How badly dated <laughs> and insensitive does that sound? I know. But obviously in 2005, things were different. 
things were different then. And, then, and then you went on to take me out but I mean really it's, it's radio where you've been ruling um, and audio in where you've been ruling because the podcast you were one of the first of the game really um, in terms of getting a podcast out there creating a, a, a bi-weekly conversation you twice a week you drop you're like you're, you're busy. I mean, the only other parenting podcast I know that does that is Parenting Hell with Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe. Yes, yes. They're brilliant, aren't they? I love them. What a hilarious podcast. Actually, that's the, one of the other podcasts that I listen to, and of course yours. But yeah, there's a, there's a few of them kicking around, but those boys are hysterical. But two podcasts a week is a lot, as you know. Um, and I keep thinking, we started Series 4 at the beginning of lockdown 2020, uh, 2020 so like March time. And we've just rolled and rolled and rolled. So it's just been continual. But I think mm. people turn to audio for their friend. You know, they did. They couldn't meet up in the coffee shop with their mate or go and walk around the park with their babies. They were just at home. And suddenly we became the voice in their kitchen or, you know, the voice in the bathroom when they'd had a row with their partners. And it was just us. So it's, it's been going really well. Well, I'm, well it's, it's so good to see you flourishing. And the podcast is great. And I came Thanks, on mate. and, as I said, had loads and loads of kind of brain farts where I thought, how do I answer that? How do I answer that? <laughs> And they just realised how much of my life I've forgotten. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And you start saying it, don't you? You're like, oh, hang on a minute. Is that, did that happen to me or did that happen to somebody else? It's mad, isn't it? Because like you said, Kate, we're not used to being asked all the questions. But there no. is something quite nice about it because when you're always doing the interviewing, you know, you're the one that kind of sits back and, and lets the other person speak, which I love. I love listening to it. But sometimes it's quite nice to have a little bit of the spotlight on yourself. Absolutely. Well, listen, stand by because spotlight is incoming. <laughs> oh, God. Here is your first question. Um, you've spoken so openly about going through the early menopause, which is, I mean, everyone has a different experience of it, I know, but it can be pretty horrendous at any age, um, let alone when you've just had your second baby at the age of 37. And despite the many changes and challenges of menopause, you've acknowledged that there is a positive to it, that it can lead to a really exciting period in your life. So I wanted to know, about that and other moments of transformations or, or kind of new chapters that you've experienced as a result of enforced change? <sighs> I mean, what a big question. Um, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge question. I think, I think the biggest thing to come out of it is, is a realization of my sort of strength and ability to be able to cope. And I know that that might come across as, oh, well, you know, maybe you just know because you've had to deal with things. But I feel like every single milestone that I've gone through, I've come out the other side and there's been a bigger lesson. For me, this was about the staying power of a relationship because, you know, at the end of the day, when you go through something like early menopause and you've got a partner and, you know, Dozer and I are a very physical couple. We, we you know, we fell in love in a really big kind of, you know, beautiful cloud of chemistry and then going through it after your second my second I suddenly just it was almost like a big piece of me died and that for me was the scariest part because my libido and my ability to you know kind of make a connection with him was ripped away and I suddenly felt very very frightened very alone very scared you know um and and yeah it's been a real kind of sort of putting the, the blocks back together to find myself again as a person and to um, actually kind of figure out that I am stronger than I think I am, that I am able to cope with things in a better way. You know, I lost my dad when I was 30 and I just didn't recover from that for a really long time. This has been something that I've really found the strength to carry on 
and you know it isn't the end of the world at the time I thought oh you know I'm never going to get through this I'm never going to feel like myself again I'm never going to be able to hold a conversation I won't be able to do my job how am I going to be able to do live radio you know it was just I felt like a dried piece of fruit and it was really scary I hear you Um, and I'm going through it at you know the age of 48 then I identify with absolutely everything you've just said and I think to try and do that while your body is also popping out all the hormones that come with bringing a baby into the world, I think you must have had the most tremendously difficult time. And I know lots of women will be listening to this thinking, well, I've kind of breezed through the menopause and I totally get that every experience is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I recognise so much of what you have spoken about. And um, yeah, I commend you because I, mm-hmm. I just think it's the most bewildering time of your life. Um, I think I described it on your show as like because my son's going into his teenage years, so his puberty's on the horizon, and mm. I feel like I'm reversing my puberty up the drive. <laughs> Trying to get out. Yes. In one piece. <laughs> well, you know, hormonally, we're, we're, we're both going through great disruption. And it is bewildering, and it is so lonely. And I think, as well, if you, are, like us, are communicating for a living, the fear when a sentence just stops halfway in its as it's coming out of your mouth it just you just stop halfway through a sentence and you think not I don't know what I was about to say I don't even know what I'm talking about where am I you have those moments you go that's quite it's quite frightening oh my god it's terrifying I remember vividly going to a really important meeting with Georgia from my partner from Made by Mamas um you mentioned her earlier on and we were meeting a really big fashion brand and this was like a really big breakfast that we'd been trying to get in the diary for a year and it was the February 2020 and I remember getting myself ready and my hot flushes were absolutely raging at this point. And I hadn't, oh. hadn't at this point gone on to HRT. I hadn't still kind of been given the diagnosis of early menopause at this point. And I remember going into town, I remember sitting at this, you know, this really kind of like, you know, well-to-do private members club and thinking I was starting to sweat at this breakfast and I felt like everyone was looking at me and my, my neck was like on fire. And I, I remember just thinking, I feel like absolute dog shit. I hadn't slept the night before because my insomnia was through the roof. And I started talking and Georgia was sitting opposite me and I was trying to say something or I thought I was trying to say something that was kind of important and halfway through it the words completely vanished I had no idea what I was trying to say what I had been saying Georgia looked at me and I burst into tears at the table at this breakfast in front of all these women who who weren't going through the menopause at the time or at least you know maybe they were but they they hadn't said anything to me I got up from the table went to the loo and I thought I can't do this I feel so unwell my headaches were so bad and it was just really really scary and it was embarrassing because we hadn't had the conversation they didn't know what I was going through at that time and I remember going back to the table and I just said it to them I was just like look I think this is what's happening to me they were lovely and they were like you know just very sweet and very comforting but it takes quite a lot of courage to go through that and to sit down with five women and tell them what you're going you've never met them before and you're hoping also that they're going to book you for this big job that they've promised you at the same time um so yeah it's been moments like that now i think as, as well there is an expectation that we have that's kind of systemic i suppose that we expect to be viewed as kind of slightly washed up in menopause you know it's kind of like you know the autumn of your life it can't have been easy to sit there and present yourself as that as a 37 year old woman you know not trying to well mm. still trying to figure out yourself what you're going through to effectively a bunch mm. of strangers that you want to to hire you because they you want them to desire booking you and that you feel so undesirable you just like you said you feel like a bit of dried up old fruit everything aches 
I mean, I, I felt for the best part of the last year, so old, not mentally, physically, physically, like, like wow, who's this old prune? Yeah. And now with, with the introduction of, you know, HRT, it's trial and error, but starting to feel like there is some sort of return to form and I'm less like a raisin and more like a sort of slightly browning grape. Yeah. <laughs> but a bit plumper, but a little oh, bit plumper and not so flaky. The, the weight gain is a shit pit, isn't it? And you can't shift it for the love of God. The dryness. Like the, the dryness of my scalp, the dryness of my skin, you know, the vaginal dryness, everything. You just feel, you look, I remember looking down at my, my like legs, my sort of lower trunk. And I remember just looking at it thinking, Do it, what is that a leg? Or is that like a piece of sawdust? And you yeah, know, the husk. elasticity goes in it. I mean, it's a husk. Like one of the, giving it to you. <laughs> can I feed my son this husk? It's just fucking <laughs> awful, isn't it? For a while. And I, I, I don't know, for me, battling, you know, off, I don't think a woman should ever feel unsexy or unwanted or undesired. Or and I think libido, you know, I, I've spoken about it twice. And we've only been chatting for 10 minutes, but that is really important to me. And for that, for then that to be taken away from you at the same time, it's just not fair. None of it's fair. And I, I, the hardest thing, aside from the libido with the lows, and I think a lot of women, you know, we've had a lot of women talk to us about this or made by mamas that they... They, they can't stop crying and mm. I could not stop crying. Same. The waves of sadness and depression were just like an ocean. It was horrible. Um, yeah. And then I lost my friend Caroline and that was just like the worst thing that could have happened because it all came at this like perfect storm. You know, January, February, March of that year were just the worst three months of my entire life. But there is an amazing sort of outcome to it because the HRT is just like, I mean, within a month I was like, woohoo, I felt like Sonic the Hedgehog. And I was the same. I had, mm. you know, like when you see um, a flower in a vase and it's drooping and then suddenly just, just drop some fresh water in there and up it pops. Oh, yeah. And I felt like I was Perky. kind of, re I just felt like I was opening up again. And it was mm. all of those things that you've described. It was lonely. It was low. It was tearful. There was anger, bewilderment. Mm. I mean, just, and then mm. moments also of great comedy, you know where you just catch yourself yeah. and as you recite a story to somebody about the way you've behaved, I mean, deep shame in some instances, I must be honest, but in others, you just kind of look at you losing. I'm like, it's comical how <laughs> you lose your um, grip on the ability to be rational sometimes, you know? Oh my God. I had to sit down with these two bosses at heart and I really, I want to give them credit actually, because they were amazing, but two men, two, two men, Obviously, they hadn't experienced the menopause. Their partners hadn't gone through it. So they, they, they really didn't know. And I said, look, I need to talk to you. We sat in this really small, hot room. Like, my idea of hell. It's like, could we have not gone into one of the air-conditioned studios? They were like, oh, let's just pop in here. And as I was walking in, I was thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, it's really hot in here. So I was sitting on one side, and the hot flushes started to come again. And I was saying to them, look, this is what's going on with me. I said, some days I can't function. And then one of them looked at me and went, you're having a hot flush now. I was like, yes, I am. I'm having a hot flush now. And I was absolutely mortified because there was nowhere to go. And I just had to sit there and watch like, you know, I could feel the redness just coming off my neck and into my mm. face. But to be fair to them, they were incredible. And we did laugh about that moment because it couldn't have been a smaller space for three people to be talking about menopause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, good on you for talking about it. Um, and, and good on you for coping with what is, is such a, a huge change at such a difficult time in your life 
and I hadn't even factored in the loss of Caroline so it must have felt that mm. you were literally all over the place and I, I'm so sorry for that mm. but that's one remarkable example of how you sort of managed to sort of phoenix like rise from the ashes um, when else has life um, forced change upon you when else yeah I guess for me the biggest one was my eating disorder aside from that you know and that and that's probably yeah that's probably the the sort of second biggest moment in my life where I realized that I had an eating disorder that I was sort of covering it up with over exercising and you know food restricting but sort of dressing it up by going to the gym twice a day and and then you know my 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 body just wasn't functioning. I didn't have a period for five years. I couldn't hold down a relationship. I lost all my jobs. You know, I was trying to launch myself in telly and and it was, I was just plagued by this this horrible devil that was sitting on my shoulder. And, and actually, I think to the, to the out, I covered it up quite well for a really long time. So even though I got down to like six and a half stone, my body fat was like 4% or something. It, 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 I physically wouldn't have been that shocking to look because I was so lean. I was so muscly. Um, but I look back at photos now and I just looked so unwell. I remember going to the doctors and I remember saying to the doctor, and I don't understand why I haven't had a period and I don't understand why my, my, like, my lower back's really hurting on this side. I don't understand, I don't understand. She just looked at me and she went, do you really not understand? And I said, well, break it down for me. And she said, you know, you're, you're, you're going into potential kidney failure. You are, um, you know, you're not menstruating any longer. You will never have a family if you carry on doing this. There's no way you can conceive a child, all this stuff. And suddenly it was like, oh my God, what have I done to myself? Um, and and actually, I guess the eating disorder, one thing, but coming out the other side and being in recovery and going through the 12 steps and actually having a look at why had I put all this energy and control over my eating and you know looking at the relationship that I had with my mum growing up and all of that sort of stuff which actually we don't necessarily do in our adult life unless we're sort of faced up to it um and I needed to do the work you know those two years of sort of therapy afterwards with the best thing that I ever did you know the best thing and and I'll say that to anybody because I do a lot of work with the charity Beat who are an eating disorder charity and you know lots of men and women who are in and girls and boys who are in their middle of their eating disorder believe they're never going to be able to come out the other side and I you know I will always tell them that you can recover that this isn't a life sentence absolutely and I'm, I'm exactly the same I, I, I went through yeah. my own experiences as a teenager, but I have found right. the weight gain of menopause quite triggering, if I'm being honest. And I, I haven't yeah, been yeah, yeah. unwell since I was 17. And then really? like 41 years later, I'm like, well, 31 years later, I'm going, wow, yeah. this is, this is hard. I've keep, I've been walking around telling everybody all my life that, you know, it, you shouldn't. You should measure somebody by their kindness and their intelligence and their wit, not their waistline. And yet here I am, really struggling to to own that. It's weird. It's weird. So I, I'm, I agree with you that we are. We can absolutely make full recoveries, but I still think that sometimes there is something that just taps away in the back of your mind. Um, but you, you you highlighted some really interesting points there. First of all, before the doctor kind of pulled the curtain down in front of you and just made you look at yourself had anybody else before that tried to intervene talk to you openly about their, their concerns around your weight yeah oh god so many people I mean my mum firstly but it was it was a it was the wrong person and I wasn't ready to admit that there was an issue there so I guess my mum got got the worst of it because I was in complete denial at that point point. 
and didn't want to have those conversations with her. And again, I hear that a lot where, you know, the, the closest people to you are trying to help you and try and rescue you, but you don't want them. So you shut them out. Um, obviously, close friends had tried my 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 part, my boyfriend at the time. And that was the end of that relationship, really, because he was like, I can't do any more for you. Actually, <clears throat> my relationship after that, which was a couple of years later, he was instrumental in getting me into OA, actually, and was really understanding. And I remember the conversation. He was like, look, you know, have you thought about OA? I was like, OA, what's that? And he was like, you know, Overeaters Anonymous. And I, I, said, I remember saying, I'm not, what? I'm not over, Overeaters Anonymous. That's, that's not going to work for me. And he said, believe me, you know, these 12 steps will be like a complete kind of mind opener for you. And you'll meet people in the room that are suffering from loads of different eating disorders. I remember my first meeting and I remember going there and there was a binger and there was a restrictor and then, you know, an anorexic and a purger and all this stuff. But but the one thing was when we started to share the stories that it was all about control and it was all about Mm -hmm. feeling out of control in every other aspect of our lives, not being able to control our careers. I was addicted to restricting food, addicted to it, addicted to the feeling of being hungry, addicted to the feeling of, you know, seeing bones appear in my body. I was addicted to that cycle of it, which is a frightening thing to say now. But I, I, want, I want this message to be heard because I think, you know, now I'm raising daughters and I know the damaging effect that, you know, my mum wasn't, isn't a bad person. She, she was a model in the 60s and grew up in a world where everything was based on how she looked and, you know, castings and people used to say how beautiful she was all the time. And so, you know, that was the language that we grew up with. You know, if we were slimmer, we were more beautiful and that was just how it was. And that was a different generation. But the lasting damaging effects that that had on me and my sister who went the other way and she was a binger she was you know very overweight in her late teens early 20s and we'll say that actually she had an undiagnosed eating disorder the other way because of what happened so you have to be we have to be so careful that's very telling isn't it my goodness I mean that must be very hard for your mother to Mm. acknowledge two daughters both experiencing their own disordered eating and both of you are you you kind of pinning it on the conversations that started in and around the home yeah, I mean, I've had these conversations with her and I don't blame her because I feel like it was a generational thing yeah. and especially where she, <clears throat> maybe not a generational thing, but maybe where she came from in the world and what she had experienced in her life. Mm. But I'm very, I'm very, I'm quite strict on the language that she uses around my kids now. And, you know, all this like, gosh, you're so beautiful stuff, which she always says, oh, I've got a special place for Luna because she's so beautiful. I always say to her, I'm like, stop it. It's not why you've got a special place for her. You've got a special place for her because of who she is as a person, not because of how beautiful she is. So, you know, I try, I really try and she's still, she's going on her own journey with it all, you know? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because, yeah, it's, it's, a lot of it is about language and behaviour, how society used to measure beauty, how we have to try mm. to kind of change that. But yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's so that, would you, would you say that that was the cause of the the issues that you shared with your mum and that re- why your relationship with her was tricky at times yeah definitely De- definitely 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 and I think you know again like I said I really don't blame her she was the most inc- she is the most incredible mum you know I haven't got where I've got to today because you know it was it, it was it was her pushing me on and encouraging me to be what I wanted to do to be and who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do for a career so I really do think I do admire her She's very tenacious, but she, she, yeah, unfortunately, she got it wrong in that area. And actually, <clears throat> through my therapy afterwards, I, I've realised and learned that actually anorexia is all about your relationship with your mother and how you want to go back to your prepubescent self. So for me, it was about 
wanting to go back to that child so that my mum could look after me. For me, this was, for me, this is what I was trying to tap into so that she would notice me and that she would want... And then, you know, they weren't living in the UK at the time when I had my illness. They were living in Kenya and I felt very abandoned. And I think that's... I kind of sort of tapped into that and sort of figured it out. But through that, again, came this beautiful change that actually I wasn't a child anymore and I needed to get on with it. You know, I needed to deal with it. I needed to toughen up a bit. Well, I think as well, you have to want to get better. I really think that that is, yes. you know, the key ingredient to recovery. And I had got to a point where literally, I mean, my doctor sat me down and said, if you don't get on top of this, we will hospitalise you. And then all control oh, goes. Wow. Okay. And if you carry on like this, the chances of you having a family are very slim. Yeah. That frightened me. Sounds like we had very similar experiences with that. I was quite young. I think to go through it when you were that much older and you'd already started on telly, you had that perfect storm of social media to deal with that that I hadn't at that stage. I think there was mm. probably a lot going on for you. It's never simple why somebody has a mental illness like anorexia or bulimia or whatever you, know, whatever you want to call it. And it is a mental illness. Um, and I think in terms to, in order to stage a full and very healthy recovery, you have to peel back the, the layers of the onion that get you there uh, to that point where you want to start controlling your body and starving it because mm. everything else feels beyond your control. And, and it's great that we can talk about it honestly and show people that, you know, you know what, you can get through the other side. There is light at the end of the, the tunnel yeah and also keep talking to your friends and keep talking to your partner you know if you're with somebody keep talking to your pals about it and just keep communicating because that was mm. the one thing that kind of got us through the other side of it all was you know sorry now as 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 kind of a, a woman going through early menopause but also kind of battling with the weight stuff and yeah, all the other totally. stuff that comes with it is talking to him he, you know he really i've made him sit there in some <laughs> what could have been some quite uncomfortable conversations just going just hear me i need you to just hear me and he goes okay i hear you i was like don't want a solution don't you just try and fix me i just need to tell yeah. you and he's like he's so yeah. good i mean he's been brilliant and absolutely instrumental in kind of getting me through it so yeah yeah good i'm good. so pleased to hear that you've got a really good wingman in your life that's Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good. 
Okay, you ready for your second question? It continues the theme of this because I think what we've just shared there is a really difficult conversation. Certainly, it felt uncomfortable for me. And I know I'll think about it tonight and worry about it. But ultimately, once this goes out, I'll be glad that I've shared it. Mm. Because difficult conversations have value. It's something you tackle all the time on your podcast. Mm. Um, when in your own experiences have those impossibly difficult, challenging conversations yielded great fruit and results for you? Oh, God. Um, do you know what? I would? I would actually say... I guess in the sort of staying power of of the the marriage that I'm in, and you know we had a conversation the other day about um, you know being a solo parent, and you were very warm and open about the fact that you know you've been raising your son bed and you've been doing it solo and you've had to go through all of those battles of your own. And I was sitting there nodding and thinking, you know, I'm in a marriage, but I'm also going through the battles and the awkward conversations and the I'm here for growth um, and the insecurities that come up. And everybody looks at it. I guess people get like a snippet of your life on Instagram where you're posting, you know, holiday shots or, you know, this mm. is our new house or this is me on the red carpet and this is my beautiful house. And then you scratch away and you go underneath that. And marriage it has been like this and it is like this and anybody and that says that marriage is easy I think is lying um <clears throat> and or you know for me I want to be in a place where we are growing together as a couple and we are really fronting up to all of the stuff that comes up so for example him retiring from rugby he you know he retired from playing for his country and finishing up at a first class rugby club and then suddenly he wasn't Paul Doran Jones a rugby player any longer and I have a big career and we really went through it you know the last four years have been quite tricky for us um, but mainly because I want to make him realise his worth um, away from playing rugby and I think now sort of four or five years later he's starting to see it but it has pushed us to the limits definitely I think I think life being difficult is totally normal it's just yeah. to what degree you share those those troubles and those difficulties yeah. um I completely can see why your husband would struggle with the end of a dream a career um a purpose is so common with sportsmen um and it's really hard for you to have to pick that up and to keep putting him back on his feet and telling him how great he is when you've got your own things going on as well it must be very tough how difficult are those conversations but, but also for, for other couples that are nodding along listening or people mm. in relationships listening in um how do you go about it how do you open a difficult mm. conversation and end it well so i mean anybody that is nodding and going yeah no we're going through it as well i think lockdown for everybody let's just break that down because we you know we we live very independent lives we are an absolute unit we've got three kids two that i've birthed and an amazing stepdaughter who's an absolute joy to parent um but we we have all of our own lives going on you know he has his work his friends we do stuff together but suddenly everybody in the country is forced to stay indoors so the passive aggressive like dishwasher stacking arguments <laughs> became this like I fucking hate you and it's like I fucking hate you and then there was nowhere to go and we were like shouting from the downstairs loo and you're like you know yes I think everybody's like I'm leaving well, where are you going because there's nowhere to fucking go so you know we, we we went through that we went through that and yeah how do we do it I think I always want to I I'm an alpha alpha female 
female, but I am in sits. I sit in the divine feminine as well. So like, I like to be nurtured and I like to be looked after, and I'm quite needy. I'm a Scorpio, and he is a big alpha, and he's a Taurus, so he's there less like. Um, so I always want to make him feel that he, you know, is retains his alpha, but still we. We, we support and cherish my career at the same time as I did when he was playing. So those conversations, you have to go like steady Eddie. It's like a tiny, tiny baby elephant just crawling, through, <laughs> stepping through the room. Shh. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been difficult. But, I, but I, I think what I'm trying to say is, is that beautiful growth has come out of it. And this is what I say to him at the end of every discussion. If we can get through it without yelling and screaming and we can come out and we can say to each other, which I think is really important, I'm here for growth. I want to do this tell me what I need to do and I'll tell you what you need to do and let's figure it out together then we have we're getting somewhere we've also this is quite cool and I got this from Davina so we've also started to do this thing where we do appreciation Sundays <laughs> I'm so American so What's that so on a Sunday we'll get into bed we get the kids to bed we get into bed and we we will like have a cuddle and we look at each other and he has got three minutes to tell me why he appreciates me what I might have done that week what <laughs> things I might have said I love it things I might have done and then I tell him I appreciate him and then it generally ends in us having a really nice shag at the end of it and that's this (laughs) lovely way to end the week isn't it basically it's foreplay it's foreplay without the vibrations it's verbal fluffing it is (laughs) I can't believe I've just admitted that it's brilliant but so so Davina does this with what Michael no I think she said something about an egg timer I heard Davina talking about something maybe I'm wrong here but I think there was something about an egg timer and you have five minutes to talk in an argument and then you hand the egg timer over to somebody else and they have five minutes so we got it from that but we've sort of we've made it the naked version you tweaked it to (laughs) I'll tell you why you're great you'll tell me why I'm great then as as all these words are flowing back and forth, we can shed our resentments from the week, <laughs> which we carry like, you know, yeah. we do. We, we suck them like lemons, don't we? And yeah, we're already in bed. The clothes are already off. We've already yeah. established that you think he's fit. So Bob's your uncle, Fan is your aunt. Everyone's a winner, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I don't know if you do this. Remember... Like, I don't know if you do this in, in, when you're in relationships or... But I don't... I, I always think that I'm right. And I always think that my <laughs> Of course point you do. Is, no, but does everyone do that? Or do, yes. like do you, Okay. Well, of course, we always think we're right until... I hope that I've learnt to listen for when I'm wrong. And I am a big sorry sayer. I'll, you know, if I've got it wrong, I will say sorry. And I, I, I will probably over apologize. You know, like somebody that's still apologising five years later as they, sh- they walk backwards out of the room... Yeah, I'll go there. Uh, because fundamentally, the fact that I have to say sorry is such a shock to me because as with most women, I believe, we just walk around thinking we're right. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Well, I really wish that I didn't think that, but obviously everything that I... I that's just... Because the other day he just said to me, he said, oh, and I, th- I probably... Th- I think this is quite a male thing to say to a woman, like, you obviously think it's completely my fault. And in my head I was going... But I was going, no, of course I don't. And I was going, yes, absolutely. But I wonder if he's thinking the exact same thing about <laughs> yeah. me. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I think they also think they're right. They do as well. I, I do. I think we as people have to walk around convinced by our own abilities to know right from wrong, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, sometimes in a relationship, it's it's all about frames of references and what somebody, one person deems as acceptable, the other might not be on board with. Have you made kind of an agreement about 
what's acceptable and what's not. And mm. then you can't then hold them hostage to it like a set of law that they've got to abide by or you're going to put them in relationship prison. <laughs> <laughs> you will be locked up in there until I let you out because I've got the key. Exactly. Yeah. Unless it's Sunday night, then you can jump into bed. You've got three minutes to tell me how great I am and guess what's happening after. <laughs> I'm going to give you, you know what I'm going to give you for Christmas, Kate? It's an egg timer and then you can just go for it. Choose who you want to use it with. That's your decision. The thing is, though, right now I'd flip it and by the time the stand's run out, I'd be thinking, what have I done that for? <laughs> memory, of, memory of a goldfish. <laughs> okay my third and final question to you i wanted to talk to you about legacy and the importance of it which i know you've learned firsthand by the charity that your parents um founded and and work with it's called the Vipingo village fund and it's a school founded by your parents in kenya that looks after 175 hiv infected or affected kids and to keep it going every year your mum has to raise a hundred thousand pounds and you've acknowledged that having lost your dad i mean how many years ago now so yeah uh coming yeah nine years ago nine years ago yeah that for you his legacy is that school and the children that attend there that everybody that passes through that school is given a chance and an opportunity because of your dad and i've do you know what when i read that it it sent shivers down my spine. I just mm. thought, what a wonderful footprint to leave on this world. Mm. So I wondered if you could tell me a little bit more about how they ended up doing that, but also how you plan for your own legacy. What handprint are you leaving on the heart of the world? Yeah, the, the, the school and what they have done together as a unit. My parents were, were together for 35 years. I had an amazing childhood. They were really in love and he was an incredible man they moved to kenya when i was about 21 22 they bought this plot of land they built this amazing house they were sort of starting their new life it was a bit like escape to the country but they were just like they were just bombing in the pool and drinking loads of booze and having a good time and sort of you know they'd sort of done their bit with us because we were we were grown-ups and then my mum met this amazing woman from the village and she said i just wondered if you could speak to some of your friends and whether you might be able to get enough money to pay for some some uniforms because all primary education in Kenya is free but you have to be able to afford the uniform and obviously they were talking like scrap heap children here and and parents that have no money um and so you know that's why you see so many kids wandering around that aren't educated and they just they just failed from the start basically and my mum said yeah no problem we'll be able to do that and then and then she got chatting and she said actually I really wanted to start the school and you know would you be able to find the money to rent this this hut in the village so that's what they did and it started off 20 children and it grew and grew and grew over the course of 15 years and as you said they've got anywhere between 175 and 200 kids and uh, it's a complete safe haven for them, Kate. You know, they are they are the most educated kids in the area now. They all go on to secondary school. You know, some of them that have left the school and gone on are now dentists and doctors. And, you know, they're really, really getting a start wow. in life. And everybody knows Papa Peter. That's what they used to call my dad in the village. And, you know, what my mum's done, and my mum was instrumental in kind of charging it forward. She's connected. So they have, like, offsets of the charity. So the charity's called the Vipingo Village Fund the school is called the future hope school but she has like a sewing cooperative so all of these women make these amazing things for craft fairs and then my mum goes and sells them at the craft fair and then 100% of the profits go back into the school so there's this whole like ecosystem going on where the women are actually now earning money in the village and the kids have got the education it's just amazing I mean it's amazing 
I mean, yeah. like, if, if if you could tell me now that I could affect positive change in 175 human beings, I'd just go, great, where do I start? What do I do? Yeah. And what your parents have done is taught us that actually we've all got it in us. We've got the ability to at least start good work like that. Um, and it must be a beautiful way in which to remember your dad, to walk through that village and to see the opportunities that, that he's left behind for those children. It's magic. It's absolutely magic. And they weren't spring chickens when they started it. I mean, my, my dad, I remember my dad just rolling his eyes at my mum going, no, come on. Like, really? We've come out here to retire. Can we not? And she was like, no, come on. We're doing it together. We're do you, you, you're, and as soon as he got involved in it, and they did it, you know, they, they, they absolutely loved it. And it was the making of them, actually, as a couple as well, which was lovely to see in his sort of latter stage of his life. But yeah, and there's so much of him at the school. I love going back there. You know, there's these beautiful baobab trees and I don't know, you can just feel him there. It's, it's a really magical place. It's a really special, special, special place they've created. So how do you follow in footsteps like that? What do you do about creating your own sense of legacy? Um, I mean, my legacy are my children. I say this all the time, every day, that if I never do anything else ever again, it's all about them. And so for me, it's about giving them the best chance in life and being there for them, whatever they need, you know, however I can help and support and love them, I will, will be. And so, yeah, I feel like I've kind of, I've got there with, you know, they're just starting out their amazing life and their amazing journey. What I can do for me is carry on having these conversations because I'm so passionate. You know, I spent such a large part of my life and my career trying to fit into a box, trying to be somebody that I wasn't necessarily. And, you know, women used to tag me with X, Y, and Z and men used to tag me X, Y, and Z. And, and actually, I'm just me and I'm now starting to... I'm starting to do the career I wanted to do. I'm in control of it. I'm helping loads of parents around the world, you know, feel that they're not alone anymore. And I'm making documentaries about women's issues that I'm passionate about. And yeah, I just, I'm here to lift the lid. I'm not here to, to run away. Good on you. I mean, you've never ever shied away from those big confessional pieces that a lot of people do. Um, and actually in, in talking to you today, it's encouraged me to share that much more uh, than I would normally ever do on an episode of, of Work When Question Time. That's a hard. So you know well what, done. your legacy is a, is is at work, my friend. Um, Ditto. So just, just yeah, just keep talking. But do you know what? I, I don't know if you find this, but I it gives me the confidence to, to speak when I'm in company that also speaks at the same level. You know yeah. that that goes there. Um, so continued Ditto. success, so in all that you do, and I hope you make it to Kenya for Christmas. Thanks, um, mate. Give my very best to the to the, the children of the village. You it's, need to come and see us. I'd you need to come to. out. Come out oh, any time. Any time. We'll organise that. Thank you for having me on and thank you for letting me talk. It's been lovely. Yeah, well, I could listen for hours. And if you want to hear more of Zoe, then don't forget Heart FM every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And twice a week, episodes drop uh, from her and Georgia in the Made by Mamas podcast. It truly is a great listen. Um, I mean, it helps if you've got kids, but it's still pretty fun if you don't. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my huge thanks to Zoe Hardman. And before I go, uh, if you've been impacted by some of the themes that we discussed today, certainly around eating disorders or disordered eating, I'm going to give you the details of the charity that she mentioned again. They really are fantastic. And the teams that work there are genuinely qualified to help. It's BEAT, and you can find them at beateatingdisorders.org.uk. 
That's it for this week's show. Thank you, as always, for loaning me your ears. White Wine Question Time is produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Gabriella Colasurdo and Ben Robbins for Yahoo UK. Our beats come courtesy of Andy Bell. And if you love what you hear from him, check out his brand new album, which dropped this week. We'll be back next Friday with more great chat. Until then, take care out there. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm.